If you ask me, the world of MMA is already full of enough blood, sweat, and tears. If you've got a disagreement with someone, in most cases, you can just fight them and, you know, fingers crossed, solve it that way. But let's face it, there are already a lot of crazy things that happen in this sport, and so I'm not surprised that quite a few fighters have accused their opponents, the promotion, or even just some coaches of some pretty out-there stuff. I'm Balian from MMA On Point, and these are the 10 craziest accusations made by fighters. Oh, also a quick disclaimer, yeah, if we included every time someone accused someone else of being on steroids, we'd be here all day. That doesn't really count as crazy in this sport these days, does it? Number 10, Megan Slanderson. Let's face it, trying to beat Amanda Nunes is almost an impossible task for most fighters. And although Megan gave it her best shot, she was completely dominated by the champ champ. But after the loss, she jumped on Twitter in a post that has since been deleted to complain about the quality of training she received at Glory MMA under coach James Krause. Basically that a game plan hadn't even been put together and that she barely received any coaching at all. When fans started arguing back, they also accused her of sleeping with James. And she kind of pivoted and pointed the finger at Laura Sanko. Apparently she had an affair. Anyway, it all seemed a bit much, but there was clearly some bad blood going on. Krauss didn't issue a response, but Jeff Molina did. He took to Instagram and blasted Megan, calling her lazy, saying she had a terrible attitude to training, and she even broke some poor soccer mom's nose. It was a pretty succinct explanation of what apparently happened, but the fans were asking real questions, though. So did they? Number nine, Player Masvidal. You know who's really put a good UFC win streak together? Michelle Pereira. Yeah, after doing more backflips than a Tekken character, he really refined his game and had an impressive performance capping off a five-fight win streak after beating the vet Santiago Ponzinibbio. And that should have been the headlines. You know, a good fight, a good performance. Post-fight, he decided to call out none other than game-bred Jorge Masvidal. Hey, Jorge Masvidal! Come, my friend! Oh. And sure, that's all well and good, nothing wrong there, but apparently, according to Michelle, Jorge had sent his wife a prayer hands emoji DM and he was sad that he didn't get one as well. He said he wanted to understand why, and the best place to understand was inside the octagon. Oh my goodness! That's the most badass thing I've ever heard. Well, Masvidal was not happy about the accusation that he was creeping on someone else's wife, and he brought receipts. He called it a fake narrative and tweeted the conversation between the two of them, and as it turns out, Michelle's wife DM'd first. Your wife is in me DM, hey baby! Either way, Michelle didn't get a fight with Masvidal, and Jorge tagged the tweet, hashtag marriage counselor. Number eight, Dan won't let him off the hooker. Islam Mahachev made a trip all the way down to Australia to face Alexander Volkanovsky, who was challenging for the lightweight title and going for that champ champ status. Different commissions all across the MMA world operate differently, but generally under the same rules, especially when it comes to USADA, which of course means strict guidelines on supplements, no PED usage, and no more IVs as a means of rehydration. It was an epic fight with a unanimous decision, but after the fact, it was Volk's teammate Dan Hooker who took to Twitter and accused Islam of hiring a nurse to administer an IV. He even called him a cheating dog. He even went so far as to call out USADA directly for not enforcing their two-year suspension. Alex even joked on the MMA hour before the bout that Islam uses IVs. You feel that pretty quick, you know, on the IVs and stuff like that. There's a picture that's been circling around that apparently corroborates this story, but it's all based on the accusation made by Dan, and Islam's team just say he's salty. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. But Eugene Behrman went on the MMA Hour to talk about it even further. We have reliable information to a point. The information it falls short. You can actually take an IV before a fight. It just has to be 100 mils every 12 hours in a 12-hour block. What it more has to come down to is whether you believe that people are going to take this saline at 100 mils and then stop. There were two fighters from that same team, and the information can't reliably tell us yet which fighter mm. legally hydrated or whether they went over 100 months. A 
it's only 100 mils you're going to use after 12 hours why would you even bother he did say at the end though that a fight's a fight and we shouldn't focus on it too much islam though is apparently taking no prisoners and recently tweeted you must be held accountable for such accusations number seven don't take anthony smith's seat there's a couple of great MMA podcasts out there, but Bisping's Believe You Me has always been full of fun stories about his martial arts adventures around the world. Not that long ago, Anthony Smith joined the team and he had a couple of interesting stories of his own. My mom, my wife are sitting front row. Dan Bilzerian and another fighter come Donald to- Donald Cerrone? It was Donald Cerrone. Oh, um, it was? Oh, it was, what a guess! Yeah. They come and they want to sit down to watch the fight, but they're fucking hammered. They tell them that those are their seats. Literally, Dan Bilzerian and Donald Cerrone removed my mom and wife from their seats while I'm getting ready to fight John Jones. I mean, he's kind of just accusing him of being a dick, right? Donald had his chance to respond and clear things up at the UFC Austin press conference. I just don't know if he's trying to stay relevant, why he would bring that up. Your name is literally on your chair in Dana's section. Nobody was sitting in my seat when we showed up there. It's not like we were like, hey, mom, get out. You're not in this seat. And if they were there and we kicked him out, how did they find another seat? I, I, the whole story doesn't make any sense to me, so I don't I don't recall kicking anybody out. Could it have happened? Possibly. Doubt it. Smith later admitted that his mum had sadly passed away just two weeks before telling the story. He'd never told it when she was alive as she had been embarrassed and admitted he might have been a little wrapped up in his feelings. Number six, the Uriah Faber peanut butter wars. There aren't many people in the sport more laid back and cool than Uriah Faber. I mean, he didn't even let all that banter with Connor go to his head on the Ultimate Fighter. What's up, little man? How are you? Big head. <laughs> butt face. Uh, <laughs> acne scar. <laughs> <laughs> but when it came to temporary head coach at Team Alpha Male, Dwayne Ludwig, eventually enough was enough. Most of you will know about the feud that took place with TJ Dillashaw at the centre, but you might not know all the details and exactly what Uriah accused Dwayne of when he finally spilt the beans. And trust me, it was a lot. Right from the get-go, though, there were problems apparently for even the first fight he cornered for the team. The very first fight, cornering the guy, and 30 minutes before the fight, he goes and finds the the Fear of the Fighter guys and says, hey guys, for 250 bucks, I'll wear a Fear of the Fighter shirt in the corner of Danny's. Back at the gym, despite being on a salary, he also started charging for classes. There's a point where TJ's like, man, I don't know what to do, man. Dwayne's like, bleeding me. I'm doing his videos for him after class. And he's still charging me for privates. I need to have a talk with him. And that's not to mention the apparent peanut butter he was selling at the front desk. I feel bad for the guy. He's selling peanut butter at the front desk. He's like doing all these all these things to make extra cash. Yeah, I appreciate the hustle. Man, let's let the, the apple grow into a ripe red apple before you start trying to like pull it off the tree when it's green and sour. There were disputes with Uriah over him getting sponsors and he even accused him of bullying people on the team at one point. One girl from Alaska said that, you know, Dwayne keeps saying you're pretty terrible and, and, and you should just quit. He, he starts laughing like he's joking, but I know he's serious. You know, it was it was mean is what it was. Uriah took it a step further and even claimed he was being racist at times. Two of the, two of the African-American guys on our team that had approached me and said, you know, this is getting real uncomfortable when he says stuff like, all right, all the black guys at the end of the line. One guy said, you know, every single time I'm in the gym and I'm talking to a girl, you know, Dwayne will yell across the gym, hey, 25 feet, all black guys, 25 feet from the females. Honestly, it just went on and on. He was threatening managers. There were disputes over bonuses. If everything Uriah said is true, I'm not surprised at all that he eventually left. TJ going with him, man, he must have been one hell of a coach. Number five, the Jackson Spies. When John Jones first captured the light heavyweight title, there was one man who was a bit more upset about it than everybody else. I, I lost uh, a good friend, Greg Jackson, you know, a great coach. Having a chance to fight him, I guess it'll make it all worth it. But this dude thinks he's God's gift to the sport. He's just so arrogant and so full on himself and thinks that he is something to the world that has never been. Rashad Evans. Yeah. 
Rampage Jackson. What the fuck are you talking about? You see, in his eyes, he should never have lost the belt to Forrest Griffin in their fight back in 2008. And by all rights, that belt still belonged to him and he wanted to bring it home. I, you know, I think that uh, I, I did enough to win. He threw me on women when he hurt my, my leg. But, you know, it's a fight. I, I, I know what to do in the rematch. I know exactly what to do. He also had a lot to say about John's character claiming that he was fake, which is something Rashad Evans DC talked about later. No respect. Before it came out that John was doing cocaine and dick pills, this was still John's choir boy arc. Still growing pubic hair. Either way, Jackson had his shot at UFC 135, but it was during his training camp he came up with some pretty wild accusations. He believed that of all things, John Jones and Greg Jackson had put spies inside his gym who were reporting back on his every move. It all came from a hand injury that Rampage made up and supposedly no less than Four hours after he faked it, his manager received a call from Joe Silver asking about it. When Rampage's manager asked where he got the info, Joe said, Malki Kawa, John Jones's manager. You a spy, huh? You a spy! Dum, dum, dum. Jackson went one step further and claimed Malki said he knew everything that was going on in Quinton's camp, and he had spies hiding out in every corner. That's a, that's a Coldplay reference. Did anybody? You like Coldplay. Never mind. Malky said he saw someone post about the injury on Twitter and called Joe. Rampage had been suspicious since Rashad Evans' fight where he went in with a busted knee and for the first time in 38 fights found himself getting punched in it. Suspicious? Well, not really. I think after Forrest, people know just to attack Rampage's legs, let's be honest. He also went on to accuse John Jones of being the dirtiest fighter of all time, which... To be honest, he might not be wrong on that one. Oh, and that time he accused Travis Brown of being a terrible dog trainer on his Twitch stream. Uh, you, you guys know I don't like Travis Brown because he trained one of my dogs and did a shit job and ripped me off and kept my money and didn't pay me back and kept it too long. Number four, Nick Diaz has been poisoned. I know most fighters call each other out for steroids at this point on a weekly basis. All you motherfuckers are on steroids. All you motherfuckers, all you're on steroids. You're on steroids. They're all on steroids. But honestly, when Nick first did it back in 2015, people thought he was a little crazy. But now, more than ever, I believe him. But following his title fight with George St. Pierre in Canada, which yes, he also accused GSP of being on steroids for, but only apparently because he'd been smoking a ton of weed and he didn't pop for that, so... Stay, yeah, stay on the weight yeah, for like me said, just for a second. They so... did not test him for steroids in that fight. They didn't test us. They didn't test nobody for no steroids. They didn't test nobody for... For, for any smoking weed out there in Canada, I would have tested positive for sure on that fight. I thought it was my last fight ever. What do I care? What do I care about the fine? Nick had a few more accusations about that fight as well, though. The first being that GSP didn't actually make weight. We all know what championship weight means. You have to hit 170 pounds on the dot or less in order to fight for the title. But on the morning of the weigh-ins, Nick was told you could be anywhere up to 170.9 pounds. But Nick actually accused him of missing by a lot more. Somehow it's not news. This guy didn't make weight. He missed weight by three pounds or more. They, that's why they wanted that fight over there, so he could fucking cheat. I would have knocked that motherfucker out. He's not as good as me. And he wasn't done there, ultimately coming out to TMZ, letting everyone know that his IV for that fight had been poisoned by GSP's team, among other things. They poisoned my IV with some kind of weird-ass joke. I slept 14 hours. I'm like, what'd you put in my IV, dude? Yeah, I was pretty skeptical as well, but then George straight up admitted it. I gotta confess, Joe. I gotta confess. I was so scared of fighting Nick Diaz, so we poisoned his IV. <laughs> but he survived. So I was even more terrified, you know, and still had a crazy hard fight. Number three, Anderson Silva's tarnished legacy. 
After a career that saw the Spiders set the record for the most knockouts in UFC title fights, the longest win streak in UFC history, and the longest title reign in UFC history, his 16-fight UFC win streak came to an end in 2013. And over the next seven years, he'd win just one out of his next eight fights. Now, to be fair to him, it wasn't exactly getting any easy fights. I mean, he was fighting pretty much the best the division had to offer. And although Anderson took all those fights, it wasn't until after he left the UFC that he started accusing them of not respecting the legends in the sport and mishandling the end of their careers. I feel no respect, you know, and I try to to using you and kick you out. And when you're out, and try to destroy your career for you don't fight anywhere. That's yeah. happened for a lot of fighters. Yeah. That's a pretty big accusation, targeted directly at the UFC brass. So Dana responded post-fight UFC 274 at the press conference. Anderson Silva. What the fuck is Anderson Silva talking about? I don't know where the hell this is coming from, from him, that then I started trying to make it so he couldn't make money after, you know. I can see both sides. I'll let you make up your own mind on this one. Number two, Vandalay's UFC Circus. Not every UFC career ends gracefully, and sometimes it's because of a bad loss or a losing streak, but Vandalay Silva ended up going a completely different route entirely. To be fair, he was mainly upset because he'd been banned for life by the Nevada State Athletic Commission after evading a drug test, and the guy who was supposed to fight Charles Sonnen had also been suspended. The UFC obviously weren't going to book them to fight, but he was still under contract, and when he couldn't go to another promotion and make the fight, he straight up called out the UFC and accused them of slavery, as he put it. He also then released a series of inflammatory YouTube videos where he basically called out the promotion for its treatment of fighters and general misconduct about the whole UFC machine. Um entra outro, os caras do pouco, entendeu? Os caras tudo azedo com o evento, ninguém. Then things went from bad to worse in 2015, where he straight up accused the UFC of fixing fights, which is pretty much the most serious accusation you can make towards a promotion. Well, the UFC almost immediately dropped a defamation and business disparagement lawsuit on his ass. Bandy retracted his statement, explaining he didn't actually have any real evidence and didn't realize how serious that sort of claim was. Where was this guy's manager, honestly? Number one, Conor McGregor, CTU. Well, honestly, I think it's going to be hard to pretty much ever top the intensity of the rivalry that brewed between Conor McGregor and Habib Nurmagomedov. But among the literal war of words, Conor also made several accusations towards Habib's manager, Ali Abdelaziz. Ali Abdelaziz, my terrorist. Ali, Ali, Ali. I know a lot about you as well, you mad rat. I know a lot about you as well. He was pulled off of a flight going from Cairo, Egypt to New York City on September 11, 2001. He was caught with five passports in his possession. He turned informant and turned on the people that he was working with. Oh, you don't even know how that man is in this fucking country. Connor most likely got these details from the book Enemies Within Inside the NYPD's Secret Spying Unit and Bin Laden's Final Plot Against America, where in the book the authors dive into Abdelaziz's past as an FBI informant after being jailed in 2002 on forgery charges. The book describes him as one of the most important and best paid informants and how suspicions eventually grew of him working as a double agent. It even describes him failing a polygraph test when asked if he told people in Egypt about his status in the FBI. Connor took this and ran with it. Ali just responded on Twitter with some crying, laughing emojis. Either way, that is a pretty heavy accusation, the kind that can get either person in some serious trouble. I can't believe Connor even went there. Yep, there you go. Well, this list was a good one. We really came a long way from who banged James Krause. Shout out to the boy Luke Taylor for editing this video. He's the baby of the office, so he basically always gets accused of everything. Using the last tea bag, using up all the toilet paper, not cleaning up his mugs, wanker. Definitely do show him some love and follow him at calltome underscore though.
As always, a big shout out to Ben Rosette. He plays that music in the intro. It's always very good because it's very, it's the same in it every time. It's the theme song, the MMA on Point theme song. Anyway, if you want to hear more, he's on Spotify at Ben Rosette. In a sea of ridiculous MMA fighter accusations, who's the craziest? Come on, you've heard them all now. Let us know in the comments down below. Give us a thumbs up if you enjoyed the video. We worked pretty hard on it. And if you want to see more, don't forget to subscribe to our channel as well. We're nearly at one milli. Let's go. All right, guys, I've been Balian. I'll see you in the next one.